What is happening, everyone? Along with Will Brewer, I am Colby Daniels. Will, it's good to see you. How are you, my friend? I'm a, I'm a little um, I'm a little down today because my my Miami Heat did not make the NBA Finals, uh, and and then uh, I haven't been performing too well in my picks. So um, I'm a little down. Yeah. But uh, it's good to be back. So I mean, I'm 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 already lifted up a little bit. Very nice. Down but not out, right? Yeah, down but not out, exactly. Down but not out. And uh, yeah, getting ready for another fight week. Uh, it feels like it's been forever since we did a podcast. And, and part of that was two weeks ago, I was gone for the entire week uh, in Tulsa for the PGA Championship. Uh, so that was a, a fun little getaway. But man, I was exhausted by the end of the week. And uh, I, I, I never thought I would be so happy to be back inside my house after being gone for like seven straight days, uh, but uh, got back and obviously no card last week and, and all of that, but uh, we're back this week. And uh, luckily while I was in Tulsa, I was able to catch like the very end of the, uh, the fight card that weekend, um, which was, we'll get into that in a moment. Crazy, crazy uh, situation there. Um, but uh, yeah, man, like it kind of, I, I almost feel like, with everything that's been going on, little man's last week of school and T-ball and PGA championship. And then the combination of being gone and not, not being able to catch much of the previous card and then not having a card. Like I feel, I almost feel like the UFC has been on hiatus, although it's really been me on hiatus. So that's, that's the best way to describe it. That's super. You know, I, was full, <laughs> I was, I was fully prepared to turn this show from an MMA show to a PGA uh, tour show because I saw your uh, picture that you posted of Tiger Woods, and, I, and immediately I was like, "Oh my gosh, Kobe Daniels is big time." That's Tiger Woods is is literally just a few feet away from him; he can almost touch him. Oh yeah, like, t- like t- Tiger Woods is right there. Like I don't know about you, but if it were me right there, I don't know. Like I I might have been starstruck for a second if I saw Tiger Woods in the flesh. I was definitely starstruck, and, and like <laughs> I'm not even a Tiger fan, dude. Like. I'm not right. even like a big time Tiger Woods fan. Like I absolutely appreciate what he's been to the game of golf. And I probably would have never been interested in golf if it wasn't for Tiger Woods, but he's not been like the guy I rooted for. Um, like I, you know, I, I've never been like the, the Tiger groupie, if you will, but I got to the golf course last week and I, I went down to the driving range the first day I was there. And literally as soon as I got on the driving range, which with my media pass, like I can go like onto the range right behind the golfers and I'm walking down the row, watch like seeing who's out there hitting golf balls. And all of a sudden, like I just, it was almost like I stopped in my tracks and I'm like, that's Tiger Woods. Holy cow. That's Tiger Woods. And so I just stood there like four feet from the guy and watched him hit golf balls for like an hour. And it was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in my life. Like I can't even do it justice how incredible it was to just watch him in the same spot, hit shot after shot after shot for like an hour solid and Having done that now, because this was my first golf tournament, having done that now, and you watch all these other guys do the same thing on the driving range, like nobody hits the ball like Tiger. It's it's unreal. Even with everything that he's he's experienced and the injury and all that, he is still like a freaking robot, man. Every swing is, it just looks mechanically perfect and just whack, whack, whack over and over. It, it was incredible. And then on, on the first round on Thursday, I actually got to go inside the ropes and follow that group with he and Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth. And just, I mean, literally watch all three of those guys hit golf shots from like five to 10 feet away on almost every swing and not have to like fight through the crowd, you know, because you're right inside the ropes and just walk the golf course basically with those guys. It was was one of the coolest things that I've ever done in my uh, sports media career. So, yeah, very awesome. Yeah, you... 
you were in the presence of just golf royalty, man. Yeah. Like even if even if you're not a fan, like you see Tiger Woods, you just know like oh yeah, that, that is automatically a legend. Like he just has like. You know, you hear people when they see a celebrity and you and you hear them say like there's like an aura around him. Yes. I can just picture there being Tiger Woods and you might you may not even been paying attention, but you look up and you see Tiger Woods. You just feel that aura around the yeah. guy like I, I like most of the time you don't you wouldn't really want to see someone hit golf balls for an hour. But that's Tiger. That's Tiger Woods. Like it's mesmerizing. You're going yeah. to watch him. Yeah, it's mesmerizing. Yeah. There's nothing you could do. <laughs> yeah. I, I totally planned on. I was like, everybody on the golf course is going to want to watch Tiger. Like it's going to be a madhouse any part of the golf course that he's on. I was like, I'm not even a big Tiger fan. Like, I'm going to go take advantage of all the other areas of the golf course that are going to be ba basically be unpopulated while he's out there and have, like, free reign. And I did that for portions of it, which was incredible. Like, you're at a major championship, and there are holes with guys that have won major championships that nobody's watching because the Tiger factor is a real thing. But then, all of a sudden, like, Tiger comes by the area you're in, and it's just like, like a moth to a flame, man. It's just like, oh my, it's tight. And then like, you just, then you just start going with it. It's like a horde of zombies that just follow this guy. And if you get caught up in it, you become a zombie too. And you just follow along. And you're just like, I, I didn't even want to do this, but here I am following Tiger Woods. Cause it's just like incredible. Yeah. Pretty Man. wild. And it's crazy that he still is able to have that type of, or that type of effect on people with everything that he's, that he's gone through. Um, I'm I'm glad. Like just seeing a picture of the guy and knowing that you were feet away from him, I was so happy for you. I was like, <laughs> man, he is right there in front of Tiger Woods. I'm so happy for my guy Kobe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, living my best life. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, again, I've never even covered a golf tournament before, and I get to cover a major championship. And uh, the tournament was awesome. The golf course was incredible. Uh, the I mean, Justin Thomas wins it in a playoff for crying out loud on Sunday, and I got to see Tiger and doing his thing. Like it was uh, it was incredible. I I had had a great time. Um, what has, what's caught your interest in the MMA world these last couple weeks, other than obviously the cards that we'll get into in a moment? Uh, well, there's been some pretty interesting fights that have been, uh, announced. Um, you know, the, that whole July 2nd card was, was announced from top to bottom. Uh, so as far as the main card headlined by, uh, Israel Adesanya, Jarek Hananir, then you got a uh, Volkanovsky Holloway three in the co-main, um, they also announced the whole UFC 277 card, which is, uh, I, I believe, like three or four weeks later. So yeah. we'll have two pay-per-views in July. Uh, that whole card, the headline by uh, Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes. So I in mean, Dallas, and that right? card's coming. Yeah, and it's coming to Dallas. So That's I right. mean, we're, we're, I mean, normally they're in Vegas, they're, uh, they're in all these places where we can't get to, but finally, that you know, they're going to be in Dallas, a mere three-hour trip. So you know, we might have to pull up to that one, That's man. But uh, right. and it's a it's a it's a pretty solid card too because you know normally when they come around Oklahoma City or around Tulsa or in the Dallas area the cards have been kind of you know eh. yeah but you know that card two seventy seven that that one's pretty legit I got to admit like I love that card and it's awesome from start to finish but kind of disappointed that, like there's not the the mega star I guess on the card right oh oh man. Like, from what the rumors were for that date, like, everyone who's been trying to fight on that date, like, think about it. Like, John oh, yeah. Jones and Stipe have been trying to fight on that date. Dustin Poirier has been begging to fight on that date. Nate Diaz has been begging to fight on that date. Yep. I mean, we've been hearing rumblings of Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards to fight on that date. But, I mean, not to say, like, we're disappointed with what we got, but, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what we could have had... It could have been a lot better. Yeah, the 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 fights and the names that have been thrown out over the last few weeks, 
uh, compared to what it actually became. Like, I was like, uh, I mean, okay. I also, I like, you know, you know me with the whole interim thing, especially like what, with, what, what happened with Derek Lewis and Cyril gone. And then now with uh, Brandon Moreno and Kai Kara France, like it's kind of ridiculous that we're having an interim belt uh, for that situation. And that's the UFC trying to sell this pay-per-view, right? Uh, trying to add a little something extra, maybe because it doesn't have the massive names uh, at the top of this thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, again, I, I like the card a lot. From top to bottom, it's going to be a really entertaining fight card, but uh, I'd be lying if I said I jumped up and down, uh, you know, with uh, with what it actually was compared to a lot of the rumors. Um, that Izzy card, though, Izzy Cannoneer, good night, man. That thing is going to be a show, a spectacle. Yeah, I truly feel like this uh, Izzy and Cannoneer is going to be what Izzy and Yoel Romero was supposed to be because uh, Jared Cannoneer is, is not going to... Uh, He's going to respect Izzy outside of the cage and everything, but I think inside the cage, Jared's going to want to get off what he does best, and he's not going to wait for Izzy or try to uh, game plan to not get hit. You know, I truly think yeah. that um, I truly think that Israel's going to go out there. Or I truly think that Canada's going to go out there and just really try to take it to Izzy from start to finish. So two seventy six, the lineup. Let's. I'm just going to start with the prelims. Starts with Brad Riddell and Jalen Turner. Followed by Jim Miller and Bobby Green. Then it's Robbie Lawler and Brian Barberena. Then it's Jessica I and Macy Barber. Then it's Uriah Hall and Andre Muniz. Then it's Jessica Rose Clark and. Man, this one's tough. Uh, Stoliarenko. Is that right? Julia Stoliarenko, I think is the pronunciation on that one. Uh, then it's Brad Tavares and Drickus Duplessis. And then the main card, okay. that's just the prelims. And then the main card is Pedro Munoz, Sean O'Malley, Sean, Strick, Sean Strickland, Alex Pajeda, Misha Tate, Lauren Murphy, Volk Holloway 3, Izzy, Jared Cannonier. Fight, fight card yeah, of the year. I, I mean, I'm going to have a hard time picking between 270 and 276 on which one's better, but I think I'm going to lean a little bit towards 276. Um, man, that card is stacked <laughs> from top to bottom. Uh I mean, I, a lot of those fights that you named, I forgot about. Like, yeah. can you imagine how good Robbie Lawler and Brian Barberina is? And that's one of the prelims. Like, that's going to be a candidate for fight of the year. I'm already throwing that out there. That's going to be a candidate for fight of the year, 1,000%. Bobby Green, Jim Miller is going to be fun. Um, Brad Riddell, Jalen Turner trying, is a fight of the night candidate, I think, on that card. Absolutely. Brad Riddell, is, he's always in fun fights. Yeah. Jalen Turner is a, is a six foot three lightweight. Like, where, where do they make those guys yeah. at? And his skills are are second to none. Um, and then that when you go into that main card, then you get into the star power. Like the prelims are just filled with a lot of really solid fighters, legends, uh, prospects, and everything. But now when you get to the main card, you get to the stars. You get to the Sean O'Malley's of the world. You get to Misha Tate, former champion, moving down to flyweight. Um, you get Volk Holloway three. You get Alex Pajeda and Sean Strickland. You get uh, Israel Adesanya, Jared Cannonier. You, I mean, there's so much to love. Like there's everything. Uh, legends, prospects, champions. I mean, and the potential fights that, that could happen coming out of that card. It's it's just ridiculous, man. That yeah. card's going to be incredible. Incredible, 100%. Um, are you as annoyed as I am by the whole Dustin Poirier, Nate Diaz, both guys begging for fights and for whatever reason, the UFC just dragging their feet, not wanting to allow the... I'm not even talking about each other, just in general. Let the guys fight for crying out loud. I, you know, normally when stuff like this happens, when you have two guys who have 
said each other's names and who have said a certain date, normally the UFC is quick to be like, okay, well, we'll, we'll make this fight. But with this one, with Poirier with, and with Nate, I think at this point, both guys are just like, just give me somebody. I mean, it doesn't have to be the other guy. Just give me somebody. Like, Nate Diaz is even entertaining the, the idea of fighting Hamzat, but yeah. I guess Hamzat is hurt now. At this point, you know, I've never liked the Nate Diaz and Hamzat fight, but with how much Nate Diaz has been begging for a fight, I'm like, well, fuck, just give him, just give him Hamzat. Like, the guy wants to fight. Like, why are we, <laughs> why, what is the holdup? Uh, Nate Diaz wants to fight. Like, we're, it's about to be, uh, it's about to be June. The, uh, both guys have been trying to fight in July. Um, I don't, I don't understand what the holdup is. I mean, of course, you got the contract thing with Nate, but I think at this point, just give him Dustin Poirier. I don't, I don't understand what the big deal is with not making Dustin Poirier and Nate Diaz. I mean, that, this is a fight that's supposed, that was supposed to happen uh, at UFC 230, I believe. That was supposed to be a main event. Yeah. They were kicking around the idea a few years later, and now we're back, we're back to this fight. Like, why is there always something happening between Dustin Poirier and Nate Diaz? They obviously want to fight each other. But we can never get the the battle agreement signed or the dates lined up. Like I don't understand. Like now it's a UFC thing, and I just don't understand why we can't get this fight to happen. It's and, obviously the, a fight that makes perfect sense. And uh, if they fight at 170, no one's losing stock. Like this is a, a, a fight for the fans. I mean, give the fans what they want. Give the guys what they want. Like wh- who loses in this fight? Yeah, that's the great question. Like promotionally, it makes sense. Um, you know, I don't know where Dustin goes at 155 at the moment. Uh, this this is perfect. It would be a banger. The fans would love it. It makes all the sense in the world. But I'm even at the point where just book either one of them a fight in general, right? Like Dustin Poirier is begging for fights. Dustin Poirier agreed to fight Colby Covington for crying out loud. Like, yeah, what are we do? Why? Why are we not letting these guys fight anybody for that matter? Like, what did they do? To, to the point that the UFC is like, nope, we're just not going to let you fight in general. Like, screw fighting each other. We're just not going to let you fight anybody. It's crazy because Dustin Poirier lost to Charles Oliveira on December 11th, my birthday. Well, I mean, that, that fight was what it was. They were literally kicking around the idea of Dustin Poirier and Nate Diaz to fight each other. Uh, at UFC 270, which was three weeks later, it was in yeah. January. Yeah. We are in June. We, we are literally... Ha- this, Five months later, and we still can't get either one of these guys to fight. I'm, I, I don't know. At, at this point, I mean, I don't know what the UFC, what they're gaining from not letting uh, Nate and Poirier fight, like, anybody. I, I don't get, like, what's the gain here. I kind of feel like they're, miss, they're losing. I mean, because just think of, think of how much better the, the fight card would be on July 30th if you just have Dustin Poirier and Nate Diaz yeah. added to that card. 100%. I mean, I feel, I feel like it's it's easy, but for some reason, I mean, at, at this point, I understand, like, the Nate Diaz contract situation, but why does that affect Dustin Poirier? Right. <laughs> I mean, at, th- at this point, Dustin Poirier is begging for a fight at 170, at 155. Why are we not letting Dustin Poirier get a fight? I mean, he doesn't have any contract issues. Yeah. Like, why are... What is the big deal with Dustin Poirier? I get the Nate side of things a little bit, but let's get these guys a fight. Yeah, he's asked for Chandler. He he's asked for Nate. I, I think uh, the I saw the Tony Ferguson thing swirling around on Twitter last week. Like, what are we doing? Book book something for either one of these guys uh, together would be great. But even if you're not going to let them fight each other, like get both guys on a card for crying out loud. Like these are 
two massive stars, and I don't know what you have to gain from not allowing two of your biggest stars to get a fight when, I mean, all you're doing, I think, especially with Poirier, all you're doing is cooling Poirier in terms of star power and everything he's accomplished over the last couple years. And then with Nate Diaz, I guess it makes a little more sense because that, you know, once he fights, he's gone from the UFC. So it kind of feels like they're just, you know, dragging their feet and don't want to let him go. But, um, you know, from the Poirier standpoint, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. And who knows? I, I think that they are brilliant in terms of what they do most of the time. And there's probably something behind the scenes that we don't see now that will come to fruition. And we're like, holy cow. But I feel like for the most part, I'm pretty good at kind of seeing down the, the line of what could come. And right now it doesn't really make sense to me why they would go in this direction. So it's frustrating, man. I think the only thing that I can kind of see why they're not letting Nate Diaz fight anybody I still don't understand the Poirier side of this, but I think the reason why they're not letting Nate fight anybody is because if he's not going to resign, I think that they're trying to wait for Connor to come back so they do the trilogy. Because, yeah. of course, we always say, like, that fight's going to be there, but if Nate's not going to resign and he's going to just take his money and run, uh, I definitely feel like they, they at least want to do that fight one more time. But that's the only thing that I can think of why they would not let Nate Diaz or Dustin Poirier, well, not even Poirier, not why they wouldn't let Nate fight anybody. Uh, maybe just to try to see uh, Connor and Nate three. There are so that, many other matchups I'd rather see for both of those guys than to watch that one again. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. Yeah. At this point, I mean, that fight's, so, there's been so much time removed. Like, of course, like you put those guys together again, it'd be great to do big yeah, pay-per-views. But at this point, like there's been so much time. Like that fight was in 2016. We are in 2022. Like, I mean, is there even a rivalry still there? I mean, if there is, like, I'm sure that they'll create one and everything, but it's just like, uh, we, we waited too long for this trilogy at this point. Yeah. Um, I, I'm glad you mentioned Hamzat and, um, you know, I mentioned Dustin even throughout Colby Covington. Kamara Usman said, I think it was the week before last, that he feels like whoever's next for the 170 belt needs to go through Colby. <laughs> Man, uh, that's I think that's extremely smart. I mean, uh, because when you think about it, Kobe's the number two guy, and if you're going, if if you're Usman and you want to see as much of your contenders as possible, you want to get, especially a guy like Hamzat, who there's not much um, film on. You know, you you got his first four UFC fights ended very very quick. You know, he's got that fight with Gilbert Burns. I mean, of course. Like, after the fight with Gilbert Burns, Kamaru Usman, he hadn't said Hamzat's name in any interview. But as soon as that fight with Gilbert Burns was over, there was an interview the next day yeah. with Kamaru Usman saying, Hamzat this, Hamzat that. I'm like, wow. <laughs> you feel a little bit you feel a little bit better yeah. about uh, a potential Hamzat fight after seeing that one. But, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I feel like, uh, I feel like, Cole, I don't really feel like Kobe is even going to accept a fight with Hamza at this point. I no. think Kobe is still I think Kobe is still messed up from this Masvidal thing. And even if that wasn't a factor, I don't feel like Kobe would because Kobe has a history of not accepting fights that are tough for him outside of a title fight. Um, he'll take the he'll, if it's for the title, he'll fight anybody. But I mean, let's look like Masvidal, Tyron Woodley. Uh, Damian Maya, like these are all people who he knows that he can beat. But outside of that, Kobe's not fighting anybody who's a, who's a, a threat to him. Kobe's not fighting anybody who's not a threat to him either. I mean, in terms of the current welterweight top 15, he's fought one guy, and that's Masvidal. 
That's it. Yeah. The, he hadn't fought Leon, so Hamzat, Burns, Bilal, Luke, Wonderboy, Sean Brady, Magni, Kiesa, Neil, Jang Liang. None of those guys. Rachmanov. Kobe has one <laughs> win over a current top 15 guy. Like, how can he be the one that that stamps somebody's title shot? It, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, I get it from Usman's perspective, absolutely. But in terms of just being the outside observer, that makes zero sense. Colby, in fact, needs some fights to, I think, in some ways, certify that he needs to be that guy that's in line, right? Like, you beat Masvidal, okay? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean... I don't. I think at this point he's a he's a guy who's more worried about his star than the title at this yes. point. He's he's lost to Usman twice. I mean, what's going what's going to be the thing that keeps him relevant? That keeps him uh, that keeps his star growing. And the fight the fight with Masvidal definitely did that. Um, I honestly feel like a fight with Hamzat would help his star, but I don't think Kobe's. I think that's too much of a risk for Kobe. <laughs> I don't really feel like he's like he wants to take that. And then the, there's other contenders, Gilbert Burns. Leon Edwards. I mean, a lot of these guys that make perfect sense for a fight with Kobe, but Kobe's not going to fight them because their star isn't big enough. But truly, these guys are more of a threat than or than what Kobe's comfortable with fighting. I mean, I mean, it's obvious. Like he called out, he didn't call out another title contender after he beat Masvidal. He called out Dustin Poirier. Yeah, a, a, a fight with a guy who's in a weight class under him, and a, and a stylistically perfect matchup for him. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's frustrating to me, and I I think actually Leon Edwards is a pretty good matchup for Colby. Um, I've not ever heard him even mention Leon's name, which is kind of interesting because I I mean if you if it's me as Colby Covington and I'm looking at the top contenders at 170, I think Leon Edwards is the most advantageous matchup for your style. I uh, agree for sure, um, but. Now, I'm, I'm glad you, you you brought up Leon Edwards because um, we're we're in June, and you know we we talked about this all last year yep. about how Leon Edwards needed to book a title fight. We're and now with Usman being hurt, Hamza just had his fight with with Gilbert Burns, and it was a fight of the year contender. We're we're at the point now. We're we're in the danger zone. If I'm if I'm Leon Edwards, I'm not comfortable. I'm not I'm not feeling comfortable. Even with Dan White saying, we're still looking to book that fight later this year. I'm not comfortable with that at all. At this point, with Usman being out and there, and there being not being a date set, I truly feel like we're going to end up with a interim title fight with Hamza and Leon, Leon Edwards. Especially because Kobe isn't going is, isn't to fight uh, Hamza, in my, in my opinion. And with Usman being injured, I feel like this is, like, this is a collision course. <laughs> that yeah. no, I mean, I'm not going to say no one's expecting it, but... I feel like this is kind of where we're headed. Leon Edwards and Hamza fighting for an interim title because Usman needs, is going to need more time to heal. I'm I'm 100% in on that, and then I hope Burns and Colby match up against each other. I, man, I ho- I just hope Gilbert Burns gets a, a, a another like title contending fight. Like I, like even if it's Colby, Bilal Muhammad, I just want him. I don't want him to go too far down the pecking order because that yeah. fight with Hamza was so good. Low key, I want to see it again. I would, I wouldn't be mad if they just said, "Let's run this back, five round main event." But I understand what the UFC is saying, like we're trying to skyrocket this guy. But that fight with Gilbert Burns and Hamza was so good. Gilbert Burns impressed me so much because I thought he was just gonna get ragdolled around and tossed around and everything. He took the fight to Hamza, dropped him a few times. I just hope that he gets a good fight uh, in his next one. But again, 
Like, I would love to see Gilbert fight Kobe. I just don't think Kobe's going to accept the fight. Oh, no chance. <laughs> I just don't. No chance. I just don't think Kobe's going to. Like, there's no matchup, like, 1 through 15 outside of a fight for the championship. Who is Kobe going to fight in the in the welterweight rankings? I mean, he'll, he'll probably fight Masvidal again, maybe. But outside of Masvidal, who's he going to fight? Wonderboy, possibly, because that's a good stylistic matchup for him. Yeah, I, I don't know. Again, it's it's why the whole like Usman throwing out that Colby's kind of the gatekeeper to the belt is is makes great sense for Usman, but in terms of like that being a real thing, it's like no, that makes zero sense. <laughs> Absolutely not. So yeah, I it's uh, I I mean I get where Masvidal's coming from. Absolutely. All right. Um, I told you before we review the last two cards um, that I had a, a bit of trivia for you. So here it is. Do it, man. Name the headline fight from UFC, the main event from UFC 178. See if you know this. Oh, off the top of my head, that one's easy. It was Demetrius Johnson and Chris, Chris, uh, Chris, what, I don't know how to say his last name. Is it Car- Cariasso? It starts with a C. Cariasso, yeah. Demetrius Johnson and Chris Cariasso. Hey, and well, you know what's even crazier? 178. That was uh, co-main evented by Cowboy Cerrone and, Evi- and Eddie Alvarez. Yep. And that was also Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier won. That's right. That's right. Well yes, done, sir. by the way. That is, that's insane. <laughs> I, I figured you would know that. Um, but I, I saw a post. This is what got me down this rabbit hole. And I was like, Will probably knows this. Um, so that's unbelievable, by the way. You just blew my mind, even though I knew you would probably know that. So I saw this post on social media yesterday. It says, fun fact about UFC 178. It featured Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, Jorge Masvidal, Demetrius Johnson, Cowboy Cerrone, Eddie Alvarez, Yoel Romero, Dominic Cruz, Amanda Nunes, Stephen Thompson, and Kevin Lee. And it only reported 200,000 pay-per-view buys. Man, see, that's that's incredible. That's one, well, some of those... Uh, guys and girls weren't like right. at the level that they were. Like sure. Mazdal wasn't the star that he is. Nunez. Um, but I- I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. Um, the main event was originally supposed to be John Jones in That's DC, right. but right. then John Jones tore his meniscus or something. That was right after uh, DC shoved him in the press conference. And they had a, yeah. they had that little scuffle. But I mean, I think if that fight would have been on the card, it would have did a lot better. And I I believe Amanda fought. Um, Kat Sangano and she lost. That's right. That was the only that was the only fight that she lost. And then Dominic Cruz, that was his first fight back from his knee injury. So he he fought um he fought was it is it Mizugaki? Yep. Takei Mizugaki. Okay, yeah. So yeah, that was that's a loaded card for like for Dominic Cruz at that point to be on the prelims. Like that was his comeback fight. Yeah. And then for him to be on the prelims. And then you got Yoel Romero, Jorge Masvidal, like uh, so many names on that card. But two hundred thousand pay per view buys. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know that Demetrius Johnson was the headliner, and not a lot of people was in tune to the flyweight division at the time. But I mean, Conor McGregor was coming into his own as a star. I mean, I think that fight with Poirier kind of catapulted him into that level. But I mean, it, it's crazy that that card didn't do better. Yeah, wild man. And if you had added, I mean, just think about the names. If if uh, Cormier and John Jones actually did fight, you look back on that card and the names that were attached to it. Holy cow! Unreal. Man. One of the great cards in UFC history for sure. Yep. 
All right, man. Uh, so we got two cards to go over, the last two uh, UFC cards. By the way, we are tied on the scoreboard as uh, last week we picked the same across the board. Um, we both went, what, three and two, uh, picking the same across the board. So we'll go over that card in a moment. But the card before, which was headlined by Jan Blahovich and Alexander Rakic, we were on the opposite side of three fights. You had Chukagian, I took Amanda Hibas. You had uh, Kudalaba, I had Ryan Spann, and then I had Blahovich, and you had Rockage. So um, we split the two cards, the two one-point fights, uh, as you got the Chukagian right, I got uh, the Spann card right, and then I got uh, Blahovich. So brings us back to even across the board. So you will still be picking first tonight because you've made, you, you haven't lost the lead, but we are tied on the scoreboard. But uh, let's start with Blahovich and Alexander Rockage. Uh, Blahovich wins, Rockage injury. What'd you think of that fight up to the point that the injury happens? I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, when we made the picks, I was kind of conflicted on which side I wanted to go down. But I picked Rockage, and at the time, when I made the pick, I was like, ah, oh, shit, I made the pick. But honestly, as the as uh, the, the couple days went on, I kind of felt good about the pick. And then the fight the fight starts. Uh, I was curious on what Blahovas we were going to see. Uh, that definitely looked like the Blahovas that was the champion. I mean, yeah. uh he, he looked like he was all in, uh, checking kicks, throwing out leg kicks. Um, he, he looked fast. He looked sure of himself. He looked like he wanted to be out there. But um, Rockets looked like he was game. Um, up The fight up to the point up to that point of the injury, I gave the first round to Jan, and I gave the second round to Rockets. He was able to uh, take him down and kind of uh, um, control him for that round. Yeah. So I, going into the third and the, and the championship rounds, I kind of felt good. I kind of felt like Rakic had a path uh, to victory uh, if he would have went back to his wrestling. But of course, uh, I mean, uh, the the injury halted all of that. Uh, I would have loved to see the uh, the conclusion of that fight because it looked like it was going to be very very interesting. But um, uh, I mean, with with how Blahovich fought, I'm completely fine if he if he goes on to get a, a title shot. And I feel for Rakic for sure because he it looked like he was definitely in that fight. So. I mean, we're kind of yeah. left like with uh, kind of left up in the air a little bit, but it was uh, a good fight while it lasted. I'm with you. I, I had it one one going into the third. I definitely thought Jan was was winning at the time of the injury. I also think that, I mean, he w those leg kicks were having a major impact, and I don't know if the injury, you know, doesn't happen if if the leg kicks hadn't taken place up to that point. Like I think the the impact and significance of what those leg kicks were doing impacted how Rakic was moving and reacting when Jan wanted to throw a leg kick. So um, I felt like, you know, you can't, obviously, we'll never know. I mean, maybe the, the it was always, he was always going to sustain that injury at some point in time. You know how, how these things go. Um, but I 100% believe that him reacting the way that he did was because of the, the impacts of what had already landed. And I thought Jan uh, absolutely invested in that department and it was paying off. I feel like if I'm just projecting the way that fight would have gone if the injury doesn't happen, to your point, I think there was a path for Rockage to, to get the victory, but I would have still bet my money on, on Jan winning that fight the rest of the way had the injury not taken place. I will say, you know, Rockage looked fast. He looked sharp. I, I didn't think he was winning the fight necessarily, but I, I think that in terms of where his stock was before this fight and where his stock is, in terms of whatever the next matchup looks like when he gets back from injury, I think you have to feel better about where Rockets is uh, in terms of the stock after that fight than than before, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I definitely felt like it was 
one one, and then the third, like I didn't feel like there was enough that was happening for me to go. Like, oh, Jan was winning, or Rackets was winning. I think it was just it was going to be a it was making for a very interesting uh, finish to the fight. Um, but as far as yeah, you're 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 spot on. Like uh, Rackets' stock definitely went up. Like that Santos fight. <laughs> I mean. It was it was a stinker, of course. Yeah. So it it, it kind of makes you it kind of made you wonder like, are we gonna see another stinker of a fight from Rockets going into this one? But I I, I was very very interested in this fight. Rockets looked like you say he looked fast. Uh, he looked like he was uh, looking to engage. Uh, it was completely different from the Santos fight. It was looking like it was going to be a very exciting fight. So I'm very interested to see like what what happens with him when he gets back. It's very unfortunate. Uh, he was on the cusp of a title shot fighting against a former champion. Uh, so it sucks that he went down uh, at a time like this, but um, he's he's young. He still has a whole career ahead of him, and you you want to definitely see him get back and uh, and get back to where he was. But as far as the Jan side of things, um, I mean this this makes for a, you can put him with Glover again if Glover wins, and then we're right back to that Yuri Jan fight. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I'm I haven't lost any interest in Yuri and Jan. If Jan fights. Like he was the champion, like when he was the champion against Yuri, hey, sign me up all day. Yeah. I am 100% on board with Jan getting whoever's next, right? Whether that's Glover and he gets the rematch or, I mean, my appetite, like you just said, for the Jan-Yuri fight is 100% still there. So count me in on, on that being the title match if it's Yuri um, getting the belt. But uh, yeah, like I was super disappointing that that fight ended the way that it did because it felt like for the entirety of that fight, it was one of those where you just you felt like something big was going to happen. Both guys felt very explosive, very powerful, and there was going to be a at some point there was going to be like a collision where one of the guys didn't get up. You know what I mean? So uh, I hated that it ended the way that it did, but uh, I thought thumbs up on both sides of that in the aftermath. And uh, here we go. Uh, the co-main event was also at light heavyweight. Will and uh, we were on the opposite side of that one. I I loved the possibility of Ryan Span. Uh, getting a, a potential stoppage uh, via submission. I also love the idea of Ryan Spann maybe catching Kudalaba uh, with how wild and out of control we've seen him at times. So I was solidly on the Ryan Spann side of that fight. And, um, you know, he, he found a way, although, um, you know, I, I think if, if you're watching it from the Kudalaba pick, you probably had to feel good about the way that it started also. I'll tell you what, what, why I picked Kudalaba and why I felt pretty good about it. And it was kind of what you said. Uh, Ryan Spann being so wild, I thought that was going to work to his detriment. I thought that he was going to be so wild that he was going to be susceptible to takedowns and uh, Ewan would be able to kind of control him uh, throughout the fight. But immediately, when the fight started, I immediately felt bad about my pick because I forgot how large Ryan Spann is. Like, Ryan Spann is a big, light heavyweight. Thick legs, like, back is, is enormous. Like, he he looked like a whole weight class above <laughs> Ewan on fight day. So uh, right when the fight started, I was like, goodness, like, I don't know how uh, Ewan's going to be uh, going to be able to hold him down. But, but I did feel a little encouraged that he was able to get him down. Uh, but then, you know, Ryan Spann was able to uh, wrap up a submission and everything and uh, in the fight. And uh, I mean, I thought that the uh, that his wildness was going to work to his detriment. But I mean, it, it seems like Ryan Spann is, is starting to improve uh, positionally. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's because uh, he took a step down in competition, like he fought Anthony Smith last fight, and now he's fighting Kutalaba. But it does, it did seem like Ryan Spann uh, got better uh, and fought a little bit more controlled. So uh, if you're uh, a fan of Ryan Spann, I think you, sh you should definitely be encouraged by what you saw. By the way, this is a complete sidetrack 
Speaking of light heavyweight, did you see Tiago Santos and Jamal Hill got a main event? Dude, Man, I, I mean, I get... <laughs> as a Tiago Santos fan, I'm I'm like, we can't put him in main events anymore. Like, we can't do it. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely with you. Like, last after the last fight, his, who was the last fight against? Um, Johnny Walker. It wasn't, it wasn't Rocket. Johnny Walker, okay. So after that fight, I definitely was like, yeah, we definitely can't put Santos in another main event. But I think if you're going to put him in a main event, I think he has the right dance partner. I think he's got a guy in front of him who's not going to be afraid to attack him. Like, you got Rakic. No, his, his last fight was against uh, Ankalaev. Oh, yeah, Ankalaev. So, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, his, so Ankalaev was, was... Yeah, another dud. Ankalaev was hesitant, hesitant to attack him. Johnny Walker was hesitant to attack him. Um... Rackett was uh, hesitant to attack him. I don't think that Jamal Hill is going to be hesitant to attack him because Jamal Hill um, is, I know he's going to be confident in his hands. He's going to be confident yeah. in his movement and everything. And I think Jamal Hill's the type of fighter that's going to force Tiago Santos to be the type of guy that he was back in the day. Because if not, Tiago Santos is going to sleep. I'm sorry. But I think he's got the right dance partner. I think if it's anybody, any other light heavyweight, I think it's another dud. But I think Jamal Hill's the guy that's going to bring the old Thiago Santos out of him. I hope. I hope. I, I just I saw that listed as a main event, and I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> what are we doing? Anyway. Um, so we were on the opposite side of Chukagian and Amanda Hebos. I told you that I went into that fight 100% deciding I was going to go opposite you no matter what. I said if you made me pick the winner and I had to bet money on it, I was like, Probably 51% Chukagian, 49% Hebos. I thought it was a really fun matchup. Uh, the fact that Hebos is stepping up in weight was, you know, probably the, the decider for me in terms of, of leaning slightly toward Chukagian, but uh, I did feel like her style could be a problem. This was a fun fight, and I, it was a split decision. I honestly thought at the end of it, it could have gone either way. I thought depending on what you valued in that fight, it could have gone either way. I wasn't sure which way the judges were going to go. Ch Caitlin Chukagian, I think, probably uh, deserved it. A little bit more just simply because I think the damage probably like was a little bit more than maybe the points, quote unquote, if you wanted to look at it that way, uh, which is kind of the way I prefer to look at it. Um, but, you know, again, I, I think this could have gone either way and I don't know that I would have been disappointed. Absolutely. I mean, when the fight ended, I thought that the judges was going to give it to Amanda Hebos. Like I, I was fully prepared um, to be on the losing side of that one as well. But, I mean, Chukagan, she's been doing this for so long, you know, the decisions, and she just she just knows how to do just enough yeah. uh, to edge out a decision. You know, with, with Hebos, uh, with her stepping up and her, this being her first flyweight fight in, in a couple years, like, she fought Paige Van Zandt, and, that, and to me that was just two straw weights, you know, just right. fighting up, up a weight class. But with Chukagan, who's a true flyweight, I thought Hebos would struggle, but she actually fought a very, very, very impressive fight uh, in a fight that she definitely could have got a uh, a decision win on. You know, I, I was under the impression of she was going to struggle with this being her first uh, flyweight fight against a true flyweight. But, I mean, she showed that she's very skilled. She's very strong uh, for the weight class as well and gave Caitlin a, lo a lot of problems. But, uh, I mean, Caitlin Chukagan being the veteran that she is was able to edge out a decision. But I still feel like if Hebos had a few more flyweight fights under her belt, Agreed. she probably would have beat her. So... I, I think mean, she struggled a little I, bit in, in the strength department, uh, and you could see that a couple times. She was able to get a hold of Caitlin, but couldn't really control her. And I think that's just weight class, right? Like, um, you right. give her time to to build up to that class, and and 
change your body a little bit, and that's probably a different story. But you know, you could tell there was a clear strength advantage on Shukagian's side, and and the impacts of the shots, right, were clearly in favor of of Caitlin Shukagian. Absolutely, and and that's why I think like if you just give uh, Amanda Hebas just some time, uh, some other fly, flyweight fights. I mean. With how with how packed strawweight is, I wouldn't be surprised if Amanda Hebos stayed at flyweight and, and took some more flyweight fights. Uh, I know flyweight is starting to get um, some traction with some of the younger fighters, but I think uh, Hebos brings a lot of skill to the division, and I think she could be a player at flyweight um, if she decides to stay. How much fun is it to watch Davy Grant? And once again, I say this almost every fight card: death, taxes, and bantamweights delivering. Right. Davy Grant and Lewis Smoka was an awesome fight. And I've never seen Davy Grant in an unexciting fight. The dude is awesome. I can't help but cheer for him every time he's in the octagon. Yeah, man. Davy Grant is a he's he's a wild man. I mean, he, he will bring it like he he fought Cheeto Vera to a really close fight. He fought uh, Adrian Yanez to a very close fight. I mean, this Smoka fight was back and forth. Uh, I thought Davy Grant would have a, um, an easier time with Smoka, but Smoka was very, very tough on this night. And uh, David Grant was able to get a, a, a knockout uh, with his ground and pound in the third round. But, I mean, up to that point, that was a very, very fun fight. Uh, and props to David Grant, man. That was a, it was a win that he needed, and uh, he passed the test with flying colors. Yeah. A couple other uh, quick comments before we move on to the next card, and you can throw in whatever else you wanted to mention from this card. But uh, Manuel Torres had a pretty exciting fight to pay attention to as far as uh, his name in that deep 155 division. And then how about a little uh, vintage Michael Johnson in the prelims? Man, Michael Johnson, like he, like we, we were talking about this whenever we realized that he was on the card. He is the best inconsistent fighter yeah. of all time. Like that, like he is that, he is the guy who could be as good as beating Dustin Poirier by knockout and then losing to, I mean, what, what's one of his fights that he should have won? Uh, who's the guy? Um, I think he got. I think he lost to Josh Emmett by knockout, and when he dropped down to featherweight, yeah. like Stevie Michael Ray. Johnson, Stevie Ray. There's yeah, one, okay. Yeah. He he's as good as beating Dustin Poirier, but as inconsistent as losing to a guy like Stevie Ray. Not saying Stevie Ray is bad, but Michael Johnson was a guy who was on the cusp of a title shot, fighting Khabib, and if he had he won that fight, he would have got a title shot. But then it's just like since then it's been up and down. He's been trying to find his footing. He's dropped down in weight. Now he's back at lightweight, and it's it's so good to see him uh, get a get a win, get a knockout win because he's one of the uh, he is a very fun fighter. Um, it's, it's mostly he either gets knocked out or he'll knock somebody out, so his fights are always exciting. But uh, it's good to see him on the winning side of things because it was looking very dicey for him. Any other comments from that card before we move on to the uh, Holly Holm, uh, Caitlin uh, Vieta fight card? The, the- the only comment, I mean, we went through a majority of the fights, but, the, but that opening fight, Andre Petrosky and Nick Maximo. Oh yeah, Petrosky was a Petrosky was a big underdog. He, he was the biggest underdog on the card, and then he ends up finishing uh, Nick Maximov by anaconda choke in the in the first round. Uh, very very impressive performance. Once he uh, got a hold of Nick Maximov, I mean, uh, that choke put him to sleep, man. It, it was crazy. Um, props to, to Petrosky being such a big underdog and then getting the win like that. And giving uh, Nick Maximov uh, his first UFC loss. Now 8-1, and one, Nick Maximov. All right, so the last UFC fight card we had was the Holly Holm-Caitlin Vieta card, which I thought was uh, a robbery, if I'm being honest. And at the same time, like I, I don't even feel good about saying that because I feel like the majority of what Holly Holm did successfully was... Uh, 
like, control the clinch. So it's like, I don't even necessarily want to reward a winner because of clinch control. Uh, but, like, I watched 25 minutes of that fight, and I can't tell you that I feel like, uh, you know, Holly Holm wasn't victorious, wasn't the winner. Yeah, there's been so much uh, talk and debate on this with uh, with judging and open scoring and uh, so much. I The first thing that I want to say is I want to give props and love to Caitlin Vieira because she fought her heart out in the biggest fight of her life. Uh, this, this puts her basically on the cusp of a title shot. Um, I mean, it's a fight that she was... You know, you, it was so close that you didn't know if she was winning or losing, but she was she was in that fight 100%, and she fought her heart out. That's her the first corner didn't think say. she was winning, but, or at least that was the message they gave her. Maybe that was motivation. Oh, but oh. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know if you can fake what her corner was saying. I don't know if you can just try to just be like, oh, we're just, we, let's just motivate her. But her corner was was frantic in trying to get her to, to, to fight and trying to get her to, uh, to, to go forward and, and push Holly home and everything. So if you judge by the corner, you would have thought that Vieira was losing, which I scored the fight for Holly Holm. I thought it was uh, 3-2. And, you know, normally, like you and me both, we've seen enough MMA fights that we know what we're watching. Right. And at the, at the end of that fight, I definitely thought that Holly Holm won. Now, I'm not going to say that it was a robbery because it was, it, it was close, but I felt very good that Holly Holm had won the fight. And normally when I feel very good about it, and you can say the same, normally when we feel very good about fights, like it's normally that person won. And for the other person to win, I was just like, ah, like, I got, like, okay, like you can say that, that the damage and everything, but I kind of felt like Holly Holm, like that was a Holly Holm win. But, I mean, I'm not mad that Kevin Vieira won, but at the same time, I, I was pretty certain that Holly Holm won the fight. Yeah, I hated the way that Holly Holm approached that fight. And at the same time, like, I don't think she lost it either. So it was, it was weird for me. And I, I, I think I scored it 4-1, Holly. Um, and, you know, it was just one of those that it was just like, I mean, I don't like what she's doing, and this isn't super entertaining, and, like, this is not what I value in MMA. Uh, but I still felt like what she was doing completely outweighed the damage that was being dealt. I didn't feel like the damage was so significant that it outweighed her controlling the fight for as, as much as she did seemingly for every single round. So uh, it was a, it was kind of a unique one for me uh, to kind of get to the end of that and, and um, not, not love the way that it, it, it was fought, but also feel pretty decisively that it went one way as opposed to the other, but uh, very, very strange fight all the way around. Um, the co-main event was a fight that since it was announced, I was, geeked about. I mean, I have been excited about Michelle Pajeda and Santiago Ponzinibbio since the day that I saw it announced on Twitter. Uh, Will, this was a really fun one. We both picked Pajeda, but I, I, I was very much contemplating just taking opposite no matter what because I thought it was going to be that close. Um, I couldn't shake feeling like there was just a little bit more in the arsenal on that side, so I ended up talking myself out of just doing the, the coin flip, but uh, I, I did really think this was going to be a, an awesome fight, and it, it absolutely delivered. Yeah, and that, this is another one where, like, either guy, you know, could have won the fight and you would be, like, okay with it. Like, I thought Michelle Pajeda won the fight, but you can make a, a very strong case that Santiago edged it out. I mean, you, you got to feel for Santiago, man, because he was on the cusp of a title shot. Yep. And then, like, that, that illness or that disease, whatever he had, uh, just completely took took him out the picture, took him out of the game for two years, and 
I mean, comes back, gets knocked out by Lee Jing Leong, and then uh, beats Miguel Baeza, a very skilled guy, and then uh, loses to Jeff Neal and now to Michelle Pajeda. I mean, you feel for him being a guy who was so close to a title shot, but uh, I picked Michelle Pajeda because it just seemed like his um, his ceiling, man. You, you know, I, you feel like he's continuously getting better yeah. uh, each time that you see him fight. Like, normally when he when he first started fighting, man, you this was a wild guy who was doing cartwheel kicks and uh, all these flashy techniques and stuff. But, you know, now as the competition has, has, has risen, um, he's starting to fight more uh, strategically, technically. And you see, like, he's uh, big for the division. Like, he looks like he's, he's six foot, six one or something like that. Very long, uh, able to use his range, use his kicks. So um, for, for Michelle Pajeda, man, uh, I definitely feel like he's, his ceiling has definitely grown from when he first got into the UFC. He's continuously getting better. And a win over a, a, a veteran like Ponzinibbio just uh, rises his stock for sure. Both of these guys can be kind of wild at times. Both of these guys are, are absolutely capable of just saying, screw it, it's brawl time, and just you know let, let everything in the arsenal unleash. Uh, the one thing that caught me by surprise the most was, I think, the size difference. I didn't anticipate that it was going to be as drastic as it looked on television. Like, I was I was pretty shocked at how much bigger he looked than Ponzinibbio. Like, I, I, I again, I knew he was going to be the bigger guy. I just didn't think it was going to be as as uh, decisively seen as, as you could see it on TV. Yeah, I mean, I thought the same thing about, like, Ryan Spann and Kutalaba. I mean, I know, like... Pajeda and Ponzinibbio are, are a lot closer in size than those two are, but but man, like when these guys fill up and you see them on fight day, it looks like like compared to how they looked on the on weigh-in day, yeah. it's completely it's completely different. And Michelle Pajeda, he is big for the division, he's long for the division, and you know he definitely had the size advantage over Ponzinibbio, and and just the way that he was able to cover distance, it was kind of reminiscent of how Izzy is just how he's able to cover distance and be so tall and be so long and stuff of course he's not he's not as good of a striker as Izzy but it just it just reminded me of Izzy just with him being so tall so tall and long but I, I think he's gonna give a lot of people problems I think um with Santiago with, with him fighting Santiago so close I think it's only going to help him but I think he's gonna give a lot of people problems for sure uh, you want to see him and Masvidal I know he's thrown that out there with the whole like Masvidal DM'd my my lady uh, I don't know if that's the fight to make, but uh, he's at least laying the groundwork for it. I mean, as a as a fan, I would love to see it. Uh, as an MMA purist, I would love to see it. But I mean, is Michelle Pajeda a big enough star to to go against Masvidal? I mean, in the UFC's eyes, I'm sure that's not the case. But um, I think stylistically, it would be a very very fun fight. But uh, I, I definitely don't think that fight's gonna gonna happen. I thought uh, Jeff Neal would be a great matchup, seeing as how Ponzinibbio just had a really good fight with him, but he's booked for Luque um, coming up in August. That's a fun so, fight. Yeah. Uh, all right, last last thought for me on this card, and you can add anything you want to add, but uh, once again, Chidi and Joe Kwani, I think is how you say it, um, delivers a big-time highlight, and a guy that we, we've talked about in the past, but uh, really seems to be delivering on the hype train that, uh, that, that uh, came into the UFC. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, he's such a, a a good striker, and it's hard to follow up his first um, his first knockout that he had. It, it's hard to top that, and he definitely did that against uh, a definitely a tougher opponent with Desko Todorovic. Uh, to knock him out like that in, in a in a in such a flashy way, it was a it was a strike that I know Todorovic did not see coming. An elbow just out of nowhere. 
uh, in close distance, just completely knocked him out. Uh, at this point, man, Chitty seems like he's got something, man. On his his name, his last name is uh, MMA royalty, of course, with his brother. Uh, he, his brother Anthony was a very very good striker, and it seems like it's only translated with Chitty, man. So I, I'm very interested to see what's next for him. Um, outside of that, um, the only thing that I want to mention is uh, Jalton Almeida in the prelims, man. Hey, that guy is. Uh, I'm I don't I'm not gonna go with future champion just yet, but this guy's a problem. And Legit. With how with how with how he looked at heavyweight, he could be a problem in heavyweight and light heavyweight. Uh, the way that he was able to just get Parker Porter down, who was 30, 40 pounds heavier than him. I mean, he's got he's got it all. He's got, he's got the strikes. He's got the he's got the grappling. He's got the submissions. He's going to be a problem in both those divisions yeah. if he decides to stay at heavyweight. But a light heavyweight, for sure, he, I believe he can probably rise up the ranks pretty quick. I thought this was definitely a guy to pay attention to at 205. Um, I'm curious you know, if he decides to dip his toes in the heavyweight waters more and, and what that looks like. But uh, I think he can be such a, a size and strength problem at 205 and then probably a quickness problem to some degree uh, at, at 265. So... Um, I'm I, I'm just very curious to see what the future holds for him because it's a guy that I, I think could do um, a lot of damage at 205, but I, I think could even be really sneaky at heavyweight. Um, you know, I, I don't know what it looks like once you get into maybe the top 10 of the heavyweights, but I mean, I, I think if he were to stay at, at heavyweight, he could go on a big run in that division for sure. He's just so skilled. Absolutely, and after that fight, he called out uh, Andre Arlovsky, so... It seems like oh, he wants okay. to stay at heavyweight, at least at least for his next fight. And if if Andre Arlovski is the next one, I'd be very interested to see how he how he fights against someone who is so experienced. So, and uh, Arlovski is a guy who's been fighting all these young up and coming guys. I mean, if he can get Almeida, that's that would be a very interesting fight for sure. Yeah. All right. So last two cards, um, the Blahovich Rockic card. I went four and two. You went three and three. Um, the big difference was the main event were three points, uh, which was in my favor, so that even the score. We were the same across the board last week, despite me almost going Ponzinibbio just to be opposite, but uh, we both went two and three last week, so not a good week for either of us. So we are tied as we go into this six-fight main card with Alexander Volkov and Jarzinho Rosenstrike as your main event. Uh, you dodged the Rosenstrike bullet last time uh, in which he was matched up with, uh, who was that? Um, uh, Sakai, Gusto Sakai. Was it Sakai? Okay. Um, no, no, it was, no, it was, it was uh, Sakai. It was a, uh, it was a uh, Tibura. Tibura, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah. felt great about yeah, he, that he one. Just, thought that he, was a win. It gets canceled, and here we are with Rosenstrike Volkov. So, uh, the pick will be yours first, my friend, and we start at light heavyweight with Alonzo Minifield and Askar uh, Mazarov. Oddshark.com has the odds at. Minus 155 for Minifield, plus 125 for Mazarov. So uh, I didn't know much about Mazarov uh, at first, but uh, looking at his at his record uh, and looking at his previous fights, this is a guy who uh, who ends his fights quick. Uh, his last two wins were uh, TKO'd in like 20 seconds, and then the second one was TKO in like 20 seconds. So uh, this. For him to be going into a fight with Alonzo Minifield, I think the styles are very um, similar. Um, and with, but with this one, I always question what Alonzo Minifield we're going to we're going to see. He's he's kind of like um, 
who, who are those two guys? Joaquin Buckley and uh, yeah. Uh, who's the other guy? Uh, Abdul Razak Al Hassan. Like That's you, right. you never know. You never know like what you're going to see, who you're going to see on fight day, and going up against a guy who's hungry, uh, making his UFC debut, who's hungry to make a name for himself. I just wonder if uh, Alonzo Minifield is going to take this as serious as he should. If he does, I think that Minifield will get the win. But if he doesn't, he could definitely get finished. Uh, but as long as this fight uh, is standing, uh, Alonzo Minifield always uh, has a chance. So, in a man, reading up about uh, Mazarov or however you say his last name, I kind of feel like his uh, his striking arsenal is a little more advanced than Minifield, but Minifield has the power. But I think I'm going to lean a little bit more towards uh, Mazarov over Minifield just because I, I don't know, like, what guy we're going to see okay. on fight day. Uh, I, I totally uh, thought you were going to go Minifield, and this was going to be one we were on the opposite side of because I'm going to go Mazarov. Um, again, limited knowledge on this guy who's making his UFC debut. But, Will, he's 27 years old. He has 32 fights under his belt as opposed to 14 for Minifield. And, you know, like sometimes you can look at the 11 losses. You know, I, I think we can also understand like what it is to be a young fighter in this sport, like a Charles Oliveira. Right. And maybe work your way up and figure out how to uh, to overcome a lot of that, you know, early stuff and, and come into your own. He's making his UFC debut, but you could argue he's the more experienced fighter here and probably the more polished fighter uh, so I was uh, I was ready to roll the dice here a little bit. And the odds would also suggest that um, even though Minifield's a slight favorite, that this is a guy that legitimately has a chance. So I'm going to go Mazarov as well. Uh, give me the underdog to start this main card. All right, fight number two takes us to the flyweight division. We have Ode Osborne and Zaruk Odeshev. Oddshark.com has, as these are not in order, it's my favorite part of uh, switching over <laughs> to give odds and... They're not in the same order. Ode Osborne is minus 167 plus 153 for the underdog. Man, um, I know that Ode Osborne had that uh, fight with Manel Kopp and he got knocked out. Um, but I, I like, I've liked what I've seen from Osborne outside of that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pick Ode Osborne for this one, man. I think that um, the experience fighting uh, th these much-skilled guys like a Manel Cop, uh, I think it's only going to help him, and my pick's going to go with uh, Ode Osborne. Uh, same for me. Um, this is a guy that uh, I like in that division, and you get him you know, maybe the right uh, sequence of fights, and uh, it wouldn't shock me at all maybe a year from now to see this guy as uh, – somebody to pay attention to in the flyweight division. So, Ode Osborne for me as well. Fight number three on this main card. As everything is going slow now on my laptop. <laughs> there we go. Pollyanna Batello and Kareen Silva in the women's flyweight division. Oddshark.com has Batello, or excuse me, Silva minus 120, Batello minus 108. So the odds would suggest that this is a very, um, this is a pick'em basically, pick basically. Uh, very very close. Um, but uh, now, how do you say it, Botello? Botello. Okay, she's the more experienced fighter. She's been in the UFC for a couple of fights now, and Silva just uh, came off of the Contender, Contender Series, series had yeah. a very impressive win. 
Um, you know, it, it's one of those where the record could, uh, the record of Botello could really like give you the the wrong impression, and then just like the hype of Silva could give you like could make it just be like, oh, uh, I'm definitely gonna gonna roll with Silva just because of her uh, her her contender series win. I mean, a part of me wants to go with Botello just because of the experience, but I kind of feel like she's on a with those two losses in a row. Um, I kind of feel like she might fight desperate and it might work to her detriment. So despite the experience gap, um, I'm going to go with Silva here. I think that um, I think she has much more of a ceiling and a, uh, more of an arsenal here. So I'm going to go with uh, Silva. I thought I was going to get another one here. Uh, I thought you were going to go the other way. I'm going Silva also. I've been on a run lately where I've kind of I, I usually I feel like in a lot of these coin flips go experience over. Uh, like UFC debut, but lately I've been on a streak where I, I feel like I'm going uh, with the new blood and uh, trying to kind of capitalize on on their opportunity to make a splash out of the gate. And I feel like I've been on a decent streak of doing that, so uh, I'm going to stick with uh, with Silva as well. Although, like the odds suggest, I was uh, I was pretty undecided on this um, really until uh, not long before we started the show today. All right, now we head to the featherweight division. For the fourth fight on the card, Mike Trezano and Lucas Almeida. Oddshark.com says, depending on where this is, these are all over the place. None of them are in order. <laughs> um, here we go. Trezano minus 210 is your favorite. Almeida plus 175 is the underdog. Now, um, this one, um, I believe that Almeida is another contender series guy. Um, so a lot of the contender series blood on this card, but this one is one, um, that I'm actually going to roll with the more experienced guy because, uh, Trezano is a guy who, who's been winning a lot of his fights, but he's only been losing to guys who are just more experienced than him. Like the Grant Dawson's of the world, Hakeem Dawadu. Yeah. And these are fights that he was very competitive in. So, uh, while Almeida has a lot of potential, I think that I'm going to roll with uh, the experience on this one. Uh, give me Trezano as well, and you may be saying to yourself, you just said that you've been taking the young prospects making their UFC debut, but this is where I also say that Lucas Almeida lost his contender series fight, Will, last season. Oh, so see, he comes into this, um, I, I think he's won a fight in another promotion since, but he lost in the contender series last year. So he is 13-1 and one overall, and uh, yeah, so... Uh, Going a little bit against what I just said, but there is a reason for that as well. Uh, so give me uh, Michael. Sometimes, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, sometimes you can kind of tell. Like, like if the uh, if the experience is there, but, like, they're, like, really up and down in their fights and they're losing to people who they shouldn't lose to, like, you can roll with the new blood. But then yeah. if, there's, if there's a guy who's um, a guy or girl who's kind of just, like, losing to people who – they should lose to and beat people that they should lose to. Like yeah. sometimes you can roll, you can kind of roll with it. So, I mean, I know that you kind of, you just said what you said and everything. And now you're going completely against it. But I think that this fight is just like yeah. a, a outlier, I guess. But the guy, and the guy lost his contender series fight. Like I watched him fight and he lost <laughs> as opposed to some of these other contender series people that are obviously really spectacular. And that's why they get the UFC contract. Right. So right. A little bit different and momentum, I, I guess. Definitely. Definitely different momentum, and 
the, the UFC obviously saw something that they liked in Almeida. Yeah. Like they like he lost his contender series fight, and then you said he uh, got a win in another promotion. So I'm sure the UFC said, "Hey kid, we really like you. If even though you lost this one, go out in another promotion and get a win, and we'll sign you right right then and there." So yeah. there's obviously something that the UFC sees in this guy. So, but I think this is a real tall task for him against uh, Trezano. All right, Will, our co-main event. This is going to be a fun one in the featherweight division. We have Dan Ige and Mavzar Evloev. Oddshark.com has Evloev as a massive minus 309 favorite, plus 250 for Dan Ige. Dan, 50K Ige, and he might be getting 50K because uh, this very well could be the fight of the night. Man, look, I, I kind of feel like the odds are a little disrespectful. But at the same time, I, I definitely get it because Evloev is one of those guys like same thing with uh, Taporia. Like he's one of those guys coming up that you just have a really good feeling about. This is a guy who's undefeated and who really hasn't had much of a hard time in the octagon. Uh, he fought uh, Dawadu in his last one. And, you know, Hakeem Dawadu is a really, really good fighter. Like uh, I know he's not ranked or anything, but he's one of those tests that if you pass like um, like a Brad Tavares at middleweight. I know Brad Tavares is ranked, but skill-wise, if you beat a guy like Hakeem Dawadu or a Brad Tavares at middleweight, that means like yeah. you've you've got something. So um, I think Dawadu was undefeated, the, by the way, before that Evloev fight. Oh, was he? I think. Hold on. I'm, I'm not. Sure. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, but I know that Dawadu is a is is always a tough out for. Everyone that he fights. Oh no, he had he had one loss before the Evloev fight, so he had won. Okay. He was on a five fight win streak though. Okay, and I think that I this might have been on the on the main card of that of that uh, fight card, and I might have picked Dawadu. But anyways, uh, Evloev is one of those guys who you know has a has a high ceiling in this division, and you know we all love Dan Fifty K Ige. This is a fight that he could definitely surprise us all in and get a knockout. But there's a definite path to victory, and if if Evloev just doesn't make any mistakes, I think this is a fight that he should win. But Dan Ige is a dog. Like he, this is not going to be an easy fight by any means. Um, Dan Ige is going to make him work, and if if Evloev passes this one with flying colors, I mean, the, you know, the sky's the limit for him. I mean, he's just going to keep. He's going to take Ige's spot in the in the top uh, ten or whatever. Um, but stylistically this is i don't think there could be a better matchup for evloev uh he just has to uh refrain from making any mistakes i think this is a win for him so my picks gonna go with evloev so evloev is 15 and 0 he's undefeated he has five fights in the ufc he's 5 and 0 in the ufc unanimous decision over sungwoo Choi, which is a guy that i like a lot um enrique barzola mike grundy nick lentz and hakeem dowdu all five wins by decision. Um, split decision win over Nick Lentz, but the rest of them unanimous decision. So five straight fights in the UFC where he has not finished his opponent. Um, I do think the odds in some way are a little lopsided simply because Dan Ige is not going to go away, right? So if you're not finishing and putting away people, like Dan Ige is going to keep coming. Uh, that said, I, I do think this is a good matchup for him. Uh, and this is the matchup that if he wins is going to really get him some big time opportunities. Um, also, I, I don't think you can count out what this fight means for Dan Ige in terms of, you know, where he's been and the fights that he... I mean, this, guy, this guy's fought nothing but dogs recently, right? Like, he cracked into the top 10, and then he's just had killer after killer after killer. He's been in some really entertaining all-out brawls, but he's been on the wrong end of most of them. And 
in some ways, you kind of feel like this is probably a little bit of a, a back-in-the-corner type of fight for Ige where he has some urgency to really get a win on the record also. So that's another reason why I think maybe this is a little bit lopsided from an odd standpoint. But um, overall, I, I, I can't talk myself into putting my money on, on Ige in the fight. Uh, so I, I do think this is fight of the night worthy, but uh, give me Evloev uh, on the decision. Which takes I, us... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think he's going to struggle in, in the grappling department, even though I know he's going to train yeah. um, for that. But I think with the way that uh, Zombie was able to uh, kind of take him down and control him for, for a few rounds, uh, I think that uh, Evloev won't have too much of a, of a problem. But, I mean, like, like you said... Um, Ige's a dog, so this is not going to be easy by any stretch. Yeah, and hopefully it's just uh, one of those fights where, I mean, he makes everything difficult and, and uh, you know, we at least have fun watching the two guys scrap. Um, but Evloev is a big-time prospect, and, and uh, again, in that featherweight division that right now, like, you know, Volk has said many times, like, somebody needs to show him something. Like, there's, like, 10 deep in this division with guys that have championship-caliber potential but somebody really needs to like make that stamp uh, with the performance, and and maybe this is one of those opportunities for Evloev to put his name right in the in the same conversation as uh, the logjam of of guys in this featherweight division. All right, our main event is in the heavyweight division: Alexander Volkov and Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Oddshark.com has Volkov as the minus one forty seven favorite, but it is plus one thirty three for Rosenstrike. So not uh, not crazy lopsided odds at all. Yeah, you know, I think that um, with Volkov's last fight, um, you know, he got pretty much, you know, just handled by uh, uh, Tom Aspinall. And Jarzinho's coming off of that of a knockout win against um, Augusto Sakai. Um, what I like about this fight is I think that both guys are going to be fighting with some sort of desperation because this is a very big time fight for, for both of them if they want to stay in the upper echelon of the heavyweight division if if whoever loses this fight is basically dropping down to like gatekeeper status and kind of this is a gatekeeper fight because both of these guys are going to are, are kind of like gatekeepers in the, of the division like Jarzinho fought Cyril Gaon and then Cyril Gaon gets a title shot Volkov just fought Tom Aspinall and then Aspinall is, is right on the cusp so with this fight I think that um, whoever wins is going to stay in that upper echelon. Whoever loses is going to be just like a gatekeeper for the young prospects. Yep. So I think both guys are going to be fighting with some uh, desperation. So I, I don't think that this is going to be a dud, even though um, both guys have had duds in the past. So with that being said, I think we're going to, I think Jarzinho is going to struggle with the length of Volkov. Uh, if Volkov uses his length like he, like he's, like he does in his wins, like the Overeem win, uh, using his size to his advantage, um, the Derek Lewis fight, um, up to the point that where he got knocked out, right. he was winning the fight. Um, I think if Volkov uses his skills, I think he's a, I think he's a little bit more skilled than Jarzinho. Um, with Jarzinho being desperate, I think that it works to Volkov's favor. So um, my pick's gonna go with Volkov. I'm not too confident about it, but um, I think the size is going to play a factor, and. Uh, yeah, I don't think Jarzinho is going to have too much success uh, with the striking. I feel like if you're Jarzinho, you just have to say, I'm willing to get knocked out to get the knockout. And you've got to kind of bully your way in there to land shots. And if you don't do that, then Volkov's length is just going to pick you apart and outpoint you. 
for the entirety of this fight, and that's it. I mean, it's pretty simple. Like, this is either bully your way in to land a big shot or just stand on the outside and let him just point you to death, and, and that's it. Um, so basically, it's just like, is Jorginho going to land a big shot to end the fight, or is Volkov just going to Like, I, there's no way. I, I can't see a way where Jorginho wins a decision, right? Like, right. it's just, right. I mean, it's the Derek Lewis type of thing. Like, you know, we kind of compare him to Derek Lewis in terms of his style. Like, he's either going to knock you out or he's going to lose the fight. It's it's almost as simple as that. And first of all, Volkov's length is such a problem to even get close enough to land that type of shot. But secondly, like, I mean, I you know, with Jorginho, are we going to see him be that aggressive or is he going to kind of sit back and wait for maybe the opportunity to present itself, which if, if that's the case, I, I doubt that the opportunity is going to present itself because the length is always going to keep Volkov out of distance. So I, I just, I, I would love to see Jorginho basically say like, I'm okay with getting knocked out because I know my only path is, is to knock him out and just bully his way in. I, I don't think he does that. And I think this is a five round decision for Volkov, unfortunately. Well, I will say this, the way that Jarzinho fought Sakai is basically what you said. He bullied his way in and he got a knockout. The different there's a there's a big difference though between Sakai and Volkov. Volkov being the taller guy, right. Volkov being a, a guy who moves and uses kicks versus Sakai who's kind of a who has a friendly style uh for Jarzinho. So, I'm kind of with you. Um I think that uh Volkov his his length and you know, Rosa Strike's not going to win a decision. I kind of feel in the in the later rounds, Volkov could uh, finish him uh, if he's not playing it too safe. Uh, I think uh, once Jarzinho gets tired, I think Volkov could be able to uh, put him out. But uh, yeah, if, if Jarzinho doesn't pull his way in there and uh, and try to knock out Volkov, then this is going to be uh, basically what we saw with Surreal, except yeah. a kind of a downgraded version. Uh, Volkov just you know, having his way, using his length, using his kicks and, uh, you know, just kind of overwhelming Jarzinho. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, the Sakai comparison is a great one. Um, but Volkov has so much more power, I think, to worry about than Sakai, right? Like not saying that Volkov has as much power as Rosenstrike. He's certainly not going to have the power advantage in this fight, but if you're Jarzinho, I think you're a lot more worried about bullying your way in, in that fashion against a guy like Volkov. Cause he can punish you a lot more than Sakai could, but I, I think it's the only path for him to win if, if, uh, you know, that's the way he's going to go about it. So, uh, I hope, I hope he chases that because the guy can be a really exciting fighter in the heavyweight division. I mean, he kind of brings what we all want to the heavyweight division, which is, you know, just go chase the knockout and land the big shot. Um, that's, you know, that's what the crowd loves. Um, but if you are always standing back to make that happen, especially against a guy that, that has Volkov's length, like I, that opportunity is just never going to be there. Like you have to make it happen against a guy like this. Because Volkov's totally happy, I think, to sit back and just allow the his length to dictate the entire fight. Yeah, I think everything you said was was spot on, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Jarzinho just needs to just. I mean, at this point, at this point of your in your career, Jarzinho, you've been in main events. You've been uh, you fought the best in the world. You fought the champion. Uh, you fought the uh, the number one guy, Cyril Gaon. Uh, Volkov is very skilled, but. At this point, he needs to be he needs to be fighting with some desperation. And if you like you said, he needs to not worry about getting knocked out and just worry about being able to land, you know, his, you know, his his shots, because um, you don't want to go take a fight like this and then be like, man, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have yeah. done that. At this point, it's, you know, it's either go for it or just, you know, sit back and just, you know, lose a decision because 
it's either knockout or decision at this point. You know, this, this, this fight's not going to go any other way uh, unless maybe Volkov gets a gets a knockout. But Jarzinho um, needs to fight with some desperation for sure. But I will say this, though, and I, I want to get your take on this. What do you think, win or lose for Jarzinho, his next fight being against uh, Derek Lewis? I love it. 100%. I'm in. Uh, and, uh, you know, I know Derek Lewis, he's actually fighting on that Dallas card against um, Sergey Pavlovich. So yeah, Derek Lewis right. has kind of... has. He's kind of gotten to that status of being somewhat of a gatekeeper, fighting the younger guys. I think win or lose for both guys, I think that's a fight that that's fun for the fans and that would uh, kind of elevate one of the guys. So I think that's the last fun fight for both guys. And a win or and a lose. Three rounder. I, I, yeah, and a three rounder for sure. Yeah. Please don't make that a main event. Not a, <laughs> not a no... fight night main event. Put it on a as <laughs> as one of the main card fights on a pay per view, please. <laughs> yeah, because. Derek Lewis has already said he don't want to fight five rounds. I'm sure Jarzino doesn't want to fight five rounds, but I mean he's gonna take these fights because he has championship aspirations. But I I think that that fight is still out there, even though uh, Jarzino and Derek Lewis have kind of been on a skid. But um, as a fun fight for the fans, I think that's the last fight uh, for both guys that'll keep them relevant in the heavyweight division. Well, this time next week we will be talking UFC 275 uh, from Singapore. Uh, which is June 11th, Glover Teixeira and Yuri Prohaska headlining that one. Uh, this is a gigantic main card. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko uh, putting her belt on the line against Talia Santos. And then the rematch for uh, Yunjacek and Wei Li. Man, I mean, that, that whole fight card, uh, um, of course, with Zhang Wei Li and Joanna, I mean, the, a rematch of the greatest women's fight of all time. 100%. I mean, that, that fight just... Is, it says that that's all you have to say with that fight. Um, we're finally we're, we're looking for someone to challenge Valentina. Does Talia Santos offer up enough skill to to contend with Valentina? We'll find out. I shouldn't be giving then, away my course, pick for that, but I'm like sitting here shaking my head. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I already know I you're mean, picking Valentina anyway, that, though, so I'm not worried about it. Of of course, I mean yeah. I mean, we already know. I mean that that's the question though. Like, who's going to be able to contend with Valentina? Who's going to be able to threatened her at all at, at flyweight. I mean, at this point, we're kind of just fishing for somebody. Like, oh, yeah. Taya Santos, like, you haven't fought Valentina. How about you? <laughs> right. So let's spin we'll the see. wheel and uh, see who it lands on. And that's your next opponent, you know? Ex ex exactly. So we'll see if uh, if she offers up anything for Valentina. And then the main event, Glover and Yuri, you know, man, Yuri is such a fun fighter, man. I mean, that last fight with Dominic Reyes was such a barn burner. And then you think of the matchup with Glover, how great Glover has looked at 43 years old, how he's basically just ragdolled Anthony Smith and ragdolled Jan Blahovic and ragdolled uh, Tiago Santos. Um, I'm, I'm very, very curious uh, to see how this fight goes, how both guys approach this fight. Um, it's going to be a fun one. That whole card's going to be fun. I can't wait for it, man. By the way, just um, we'll go. We'll make our picks next week, and we'll give the updated odds at that point. But as we stand here today, a week and a half out, uh, Yuri Prohaska is the minus two hundred favorite, plus one seventy for Glover. Valentina is minus six hundred, and I think that will actually go up by the time we do this next week. And uh, Wei Li is minus one seventy, plus one forty for Joanna. Those are pretty interesting. I, if I would have had to guess on those odds, I would have got all three of them wrong. So really, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, um, I I would have thought that um, Yuri and Glover was closer. I would have thought that um, Whaley and Joanna was a pick'em. 
and I would have thought that uh, Valentina was more of a favorite. So, yeah, very interesting odds, but we'll, we'll see next week, man. I would have said probably, like, Valentina, I would have guessed around, like, minus 800. I feel yeah. like I would have been pretty close on on the Whaley, uh slight favorite. Maybe a little closer than it is, but not much. Um, and also, we've seen her active, you know, that like to me, that probably plays a little bit of a role in, in what the odds would be. And then I I don't know. I, I would have guessed that Yuri was the favorite, but um, I'm not I'm not shocked by where that one's at either. So, yeah, I just would have thought that with how Glover picked apart Jan Blahovich in the championship winning fight, I know that Yuri uh, had the spectacular knockout and everything, but. With how Glover's been looking lately, like these yeah. fights haven't really been close. Yeah. So I would have thought that this fight. I, I feel like the narrative team, on that is more about Yawn kind of no showing than Glover, though, right? Like I, I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying I feel like I hear more people talk about Yawn's side of that than Glover's side of that, and maybe that's reflective in terms of what those odds look like. Now, see, I agree with that 100%. But I'm, but it's more of for me like. You see the the big winning streak that Glover is on, and how much can you really say like, okay, Anthony Smith just didn't show up on that night, or um, uh, Thiago Santos just blew his wad after the first round? Like, I'm I'm just of the uh, um, I, I want to give Glover to share the credit that he deserves. Yeah. Uh, you know, being the champion and these the, his last three fights haven't been close. I mean, I, of course Thiago almost knocked him out, but these fights for the most part haven't been close. So. Um, but with Yuri striking, man, I mean, I know he's he deserves to be the favorite for sure. But, I mean, we'll, we'll see, man. Yeah, it'll be fun. We'll see. All right, brother. We'll catch up again next week. Uh, no points up for grabs, I guess, this week. So, um, no matter which way all of this goes, we'll... Uh... I, I, I... Oh, good. I'm, I was skimming down this card, and Aaron Blanchfield is on this card, uh, on this card on Saturday. Oh, Yeah. I, yeah, I saw that. And she's the opening fight on the prelims. Yes. And I, I, I was just looking down the car. I was like, wait, wait what? Aaron Blanchfield? So, uh, I mean, she's someone in the flyaway division to really pay attention to after her uh, dominant win over Miranda Maverick. So uh, I'm sorry, Aaron Blanchfield, because, like, at the beginning of the year, we both picked Aaron Blanchfield as a prospect to really pay attention to. And we definitely just didn't pay attention to her while we were breaking right. down this fight card. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to show a little bit of love to Aaron Blanchfield before we get off here. Yeah, good call. Good call. Um, I should have <laughs> mentioned that also, and I, I totally forgot that she was at the top of this card, which is kind of crazy also. Like, probably deserves a little bit better spot than that. But, uh, you know, maybe yes. they maybe they think like, hey, she'll kick it off with a bang. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. But she, the opening fight on the prelims, right. she needs to be on the main card. But, I, I mean, I get it, though. I get it. <laughs> um, I mean, give her the uh, the spot that, that has Botello and Silva on the main card. I'm think she's deserving of that absolutely i mean and it's in the same division too but yeah i mean i guess they're going with their contender series people <laughs> i guess yeah I'm, I mean, I'm a i'm a i'm an aaron blanchfield believer though so uh me me, me too after what she did to miranda maverick yeah. i'm i'm there for sure all right buddy we'll catch up next week have a great rest of the week and uh, again no points up for grabs so uh you will be selecting first and i cannot wait to hear what you think of that main event one week from now Pay-per-view Saturday, baby. Let's go next week. Points up for grabs. That is Will Brewer. I'm Colby Daniels. Everybody have a great rest of your week.
podcast is over.